Indeed, we have Dr. John O. Lineball with us uh, this afternoon as our Lenten preacher. Uh, he and his wife Megan have three children. They live in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where John O. Uh, is the professor of New Testament at Knox Theological Seminary. And he's a graduate of Trinity School for Ministry and did his doctorate work at the University of Durham in England. And John O., we are thrilled uh, to have you here today in the next two days after this. So we'll hear from you three times. Um, so if you blow it today, you have two times to make it up. Well, as uh, we are in prayer for Dr. Limeball, let us stand and sing hymn number 688, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, verses 1 and 2. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Our passage of Scripture today comes from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of the Lord. Well, I'm half tempted to say I would prefer just to continue listening to A Mighty Fortress is Our God than me speak, but it is a great honor to be here. A warm thank you to Dean Limehouse and all the clergy for inviting me and to you for coming. I'm always shocked when I stand up to speak and there are actually people there. I just can't believe it. But thank you for being here. In our brief time this morning, I just want to ask one very basic question. And to get into this question, I want to tell you almost all of a story. Not all of it, but almost all of the story. And the story comes from 1944 in Europe, when the war was almost over, but there was still a little bit of fighting going on. And there was a minister from the United Kingdom who was working as a chaplain and a stretcher bearer. So one of his jobs during the battles was to walk out into the field of battle to retrieve wounded soldiers on stretchers and to bring them back. And as he was doing his job, he came upon a young soldier who was clearly mortally wounded. The soldier wasn't going to make it off the field of battle. And he came to this soldier, trying to help him get onto the stretcher, and looked into his eyes. And with his last breath, the soldier asked one question. He said to this minister, Father... What is God like? That's what he wanted to know. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. But I don't want us just to think about what we would say if we were the minister. What we might answer if we had a pop quiz and I said, what is God like? We'd probably get it right on those terms. We'd probably say something like, God is love. Or something like that. And that would be true. But I'm more interested in what we might actually believe if we were the dying soldier? What if this was our last question? Our life and death question? What do we actually think God thinks about us? What do we actually feel God feels about us? Perhaps especially when we fail. Or perhaps especially when we think we may have to face him shortly. Because the reality is, the true statement... God is love is not a description of what life feels like. It's not a description of 
what you see when you look inside yourself and when you look out at history or the news or something like that. God is love is not an obvious statement. I actually remember one time I was preaching on 1 John chapter 4, which is where the statement, God is love, comes from. And my wife asked me that morning, she said, what are you preaching on? And it had been a long night. We have three children, five, three, and one. And I think she had probably been up something like 16 times during the night. She's, I said it was the morning, but she's probably asking me this about 4 a.m. And she says, what are you preaching on? And I said, well, I'm going to talk about how God is love. And she looked at me, and she rolled her eyes, and she said, didn't feel like it last night. And I thought, well, that's exactly right. It doesn't feel like it. That's not the kind of statement it is. It's not the kind of thing you just sort of say, let me think back on my day. What kind of day was it? It was a God is love kind of day. That's not the sort of statement it is. And the first thing we see in our verse from John 1.18 is that when we just think instinctively about God, we get him wrong. The first thing that John 1.18 says is, no one has ever seen God. That's the first half of the verse. Our default setting is a lot like the sailors in the story of the book of Jonah. I don't know if you remember, but there's a great storm at sea, and they don't know why, and they're throwing the cargo off and all this, and it says that they all called out to their own gods, but they were still terrified. They were calling out to gods, but they didn't know what God was like. Did he send the storm, or is he going to make the storm go away? Is he merciful, or is he mad? They didn't have a certain God, and so they were terrified, even as they called out to him. And the first thing John 1.18 forces us to admit is that we get God wrong. I've actually always liked a description for someone who was here just two weeks ago, Aaron Zimmerman. I'm sure you remember him fondly. And he has sometimes described the way we think about God as if we treat him like a hidden object. And relating to him is like playing that game hot and cold, where as you get a little closer, someone says, getting warmer, getting warmer, hot. As you move further away, getting colder, getting colder. And we sometimes think about our relationship with God this way. You know, we wake up in the morning and take time to pray. We're getting warm. And then we also open our Bible. We're getting warmer. And then you go to a Lenten preaching service. Hot, right? Scorching hot. But then there are other days where perhaps you woke up 16 times during the night and didn't even remember that the Bible existed, let alone read it. And instead of going and helping at the soup kitchen, you decided it would be better to go to the mall. And you start thinking, ooh, maybe I'm getting a little colder. And then, you know, worst case scenario, you skip church on Sunday morning because you've DVR'd keeping up with the Kardashians. And so you do that instead. And all of a sudden you think you're in the sort of freezer of the faith. And we basically turn our relationship with God into a spiritual version of survival of the fittest. The best and the brightest, the smartest and the strongest are making it to God. But woe is you or woe is me if we're not the best and the brightest or the smartest and the strongest, or if we've just had a hard day. But I think we know that that's not a correct description. I mean, Paul said in 1 Corinthians that God chose the weak. God chose the foolish. So if that's not what God is actually like, what is God like? What is the answer? 
to the soldier's dying question. And I've been thinking about this because this came up in my household. My wife was reading this storybook Bible. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I highly recommend to all who would receive the kingdom of God as little children. And she was reading this. I think they were probably reading the story of David and Goliath, because that's the most commonly read story in our house with little kids. And my three-year-old said to my wife, Mommy, what does God look like? And I thought, this could be very interesting. What's about to happen here? Of course, she could have turned to Genesis, where there's a picture of something that's supposed to represent God. But this is what my wife did. My three-year-old daughter said, Mommy, what does God look like? And my wife held the Bible so that our daughter couldn't see any of the pictures. And she just read her these words. They gave Jesus a crown made out of thorns. They whipped him and spat on him. They walked up a hill outside the city. Jesus carried the cross on his back. Jesus had never done anything wrong, but they were going to kill him the way criminals were killed. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what they're doing. You say you've come to rescue us, people shouted but you can't even rescue yourself? If you really were the Son of God, you could just climb down off the cross. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Papa, Jesus cried frantically, searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time, and the last, when he spoke, nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. Even though it was midday, a dreadful darkness covered the face of the world. The sun could not shine. The earth trembled and quaked. The great mountains shook until it seemed that the whole world would break, that creation itself would tear apart. Then Jesus shouted out in a loud voice, It is finished. And it was. He had done it. Jesus had rescued the whole world. Father, Jesus cried, I give you my life. And with a great sigh, he let himself die. That, Callie, my wife said, is what God looks like. That is what God is like. And that's the second half of John 1.18. The first half says, no one has ever seen God. The second half says, the only God, the one who is from or at the Father's side, Jesus, has made him known. The answer to the question, what is God like, is the name Jesus Christ. And so, when life gets scary and stormy, We're not stuck in the fate of those sailors in Jonah who are calling out to God but still afraid because they don't know what he's like. We have a certain God. We know the answer to the question, what is he like? God has written his autobiography for us to see by telling the story of Jesus. And so we no longer have to wonder with Joan Osborne, what if God was one of us? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We don't have to wonder if God showed up on the scene 
what group of people he would be friends with in high school. In Jesus, we see that God himself is a friend of sinners. We don't have to wonder what God thinks about us when we fail, when we're caught in the act, when we're impatient with our children or we're standing in front of the freezer for that late-night snack. We know what God thinks about us. He says to us what Jesus said to Zacchaeus when he caught him in a tree. Salvation has come to your house. He says to us what he said to the woman caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. And he even says to us when we're caught in the act, when our shame is seen, when our sins are known, he says to us what he prayed for those soldiers who nailed him to the cross. Father, forgive them. In Jesus, we see that God is not waiting for the best and the brightest to make it up to him. He's not even just willing to meet us halfway if we clean up our acts to be our kind of tag team partner in the wrestling match of life. What we see in Jesus is that God has gone right past the yellow caution tape and entered the crime scene of our lives. He's there in our unspoken hopes, our secret failings, and our silent sufferings. And right there, he's saying, I love you. He invades those places that we've constructed ways of saying to others, to ourselves, and even to God, keep out. And he goes right into those places, the chaos of a house when you have small children and you haven't been able to stuff it in the closet before, you know, unexpected company comes over. He comes there. He's there when you're looking at the face in the mirror before you've put the makeup on. He's there in those idle hours of work when you should go home, but you're just sitting there for some reason. He's there in those thoughts that drift in as you're drifting off to sleep. He's in those real places saying to real people in Jesus, I love you. In the words of St. John from 1 John chapter 4, God is love. And his love looks like this. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son for us. To say God is love is just to tell the story of Jesus. Which brings us back to our dying soldier. His last breath, his last question. Literally a matter of life and death. And he says to this minister, Father, what is God like? And you can feel what he really means. He means, what does God think about me? He's not interested in a theology lesson right now. He doesn't need to know what he's like in general. He wants to know, when my eyes close, what am I going to encounter? What does God think about me? Is he mad at me, or is he going to be merciful towards me? What is God like? And this minister says to him, the only thing, but also the most hopeful thing that we've been given to say, God is like Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, 
thank you that you have written your story for us to see in the sending and the sacrificing of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for seeing us, for knowing us, and for sending Jesus for us. You are love. We pray that you would give us the grace to believe it, to look at Jesus, and to know that we're looking at our God. Thank you for this day, for those of us who are going to eat the food, blessed to our use and us to thy service, and those who are leaving here for work. Be with them this day, that they may go in peace. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, who shows us what you are like. Amen.